Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and I am so glad that we are here in Holy Week, and it is uh, always nice to spend time with you. Tuesdays are uh, favorite days of mine because I always get to talk to Rob Bluey, who is the executive editor at The Daily Signal. And uh, after Rob, and we've got our big hour coming up with Jeff Verdorn later at 5 o'clock. We're going to talk about the very last week in the life of Jesus, so it's going to be a great show. So Rob has uh, been a regular on the show for now, I think, a couple of years. Always glad to have him on. Rob, welcome. Thanks, Bill. It's good to be back with you today. Trying to put you in context because it's been several years now, which has been great for me. And you can probably say exactly how long you've been doing this. <laughs> well, geez, I, I, I mean, it has been a while. The Daily Signal was founded eight years ago, believe okay. it or not. So uh, we didn't start quite when we, we created the Daily Signal, sure. but it's been a, a significant number of years, Bill. And I always enjoy doing it because it's an opportunity to talk to people who are outside of Washington, D.C. about some of the big stories that we're tracking here. We created the Daily Signal all those years ago because we were unsatisfied with the coverage that most legacy media organizations provide. And we thought that we uh, could hopefully provide an alternative and uh, do a better job uh, at it as well. So we appreciate you giving us an opportunity to connect every week and uh, and talk about some of the big stories that are happening. And you are talking to some of the loveliest folk in the world, just so you know, Rob. I know, and I yep. love their questions, so I, I appreciate always when you <laughs> when you share them with me. And, and I must say, young Doug Blair did a fine job last week. He's He is fantastic. And, uh, did you talk to Doug, him? Uh, I, yes, he is. Uh, he he we he's sitting right outside my office, and he is uh, he is uh, a, an all star. Uh, he is a regular uh, host of our Daily Signal podcast. And for any of your listeners who would like to hear his his interviews uh, with newsmakers, uh, they can certainly subscribe to that. And uh, and yeah, I think uh, hopefully in the future, Doug can uh, come make a return appearance on no, your show, Bill. Yeah, we uh, we'd love to have him back. So because you have three younger kids. I'm very curious about your thoughts on the parental rights in education. Well, I, I certainly uh, you're referring to the Florida bill uh, that is now I law uh, signed signed by Governor Ron DeSantis, which has uh, sparked a lot of controversy. Uh, some of the major corporations, including Disney, have come under fire for it. Uh, basically, what this what this law does it's it's not as frankly controversial as I think it is. And based on some of the polling that I've even seen uh, come out, it's uh, it's not really uh, all that controversial, even with those uh, who are maybe left of center. Uh, the law basically says that if you're in if you're a student in kindergarten through third grade, uh, your teachers cannot talk to you uh, about sexual related matters. Um, and, and of course, this was a concern because so many school districts, public school districts across the country are introducing young children to, to concepts uh, like gender identity and uh, transgender uh, gay, lesbian issues, things that would more appropriate be more appropriately be handled uh, in the home, discussions with parents, probably at a, at a later age than kindergarten, that seems awfully young to, to be bringing uh, kindergartners into these types of, of discussions. And, uh, and that's why I think that when you actually look and read the law, it's not as controversial as the news media make it out to be. Uh, they've labeled it uh, the don't say gay bill. 
Um, mm-hmm. It is, uh, it, it is. I think um, one of the clever tactics that some on the left uh, tend to use. Uh, give these things a name, and then it gets branded as uh, this, uh, this this very bad thing. Uh, but in in essence, uh, what it is, Bill, it's an opportunity for parents to be put back in control of their kids' education. And I wish our schools would focus less on some of these these cultural debates that we find ourselves in, and more on reading, writing, and arithmetic. That's what we really need to get back to. Mm-hmm. When you think of a, an 18-year-old taking out a huge amount of college loan money and people might say, well, you can't expect him to have known the consequences. He's just a kid. And I think, yeah. well, wait a minute, but you want to let Johnny, who's 10, have surgery to change his gender. And he, what, he, did he not know the consequences? Well, and we, we, we do know the consequences because there are individuals who have gone through the process of, of transitioning and now detransitioning. And we've had some of them speak on the stage at the Heritage Foundation, some of whom have been censored by YouTube uh, sure. for sharing their, their views, Bill. I mean, it's really quite remarkable. And so these individuals are out there telling their stories because these are life-changing uh, acts that, uh, that, that in some cases, uh, it appears our, our, our schools or doctors or counselors are, are now encouraging young people to do. Um, look, there are people who we should pray for who are struggling with gender dysphoria. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and we, we, need to, we need to do that as, as Christians. Uh, but at the same time, I think we need to be mindful that when you're telling a five-year-old uh, that he is the, a different sex from, from what, um, what he was born, uh, what God made him or her, uh, that, is, that is deeply problematic, particularly when it's a teacher doing it in a setting where the parents aren't present. And it creates a lot of confusion. And let's face it, there are, there are boys and girls who don't have gender dysphoria, just might be going through a phase in life uh, where they might be interested in, in toys that you know, are more, more, more associated with a certain sex than another. And, and <laughs> I think that for parents who want to all, all you know, jump to conclusions uh, at a at a very early age uh, on, on behalf of their children are doing them a great disservice because um, because again if you're taking puberty blockers or you're actually getting surgery uh, some of those things are not reversible mm-hmm. Rob do you know anything about the funding for fatherhood engagement programs that R- Rhonda Sanders is planning on that well so there is um, Bill, I have long thought, uh, just as a side tangent here, that this was an opportunity for Barack Obama, when he was president, uh, to reach across the aisle and, uh, and, and find common ground, not only with conservatives and Christians, but with, with people in his own party. Fatherhood is so important. Uh, marriage is so important. And I think that, uh, as we have seen, unfortunately, in this country, uh, the, the, with, with the divorce rate and with the fact that so many, um, so many kids are, are growing up in homes without fathers, I've, uh, I've had the opportunity to work with Kay James, who was a guest on your show, and she mm-hmm. talks about her experience uh, being in a home where uh, she was raised by a single mother. Uh, her, her father was an alcoholic and abusive. And I, I think that those individuals who need help uh, should seek opportunities to get that help. But, but too often, Bill, uh, we're finding uh, kids are finding themselves in a situation where they are starting from a position where it is very difficult uh, to get ahead in life because they don't have that two-parent household. They're missing the father. And as a result, uh, they end up going down a path that maybe leads to criminal activity or 
or at a minimum, just not completing their education. Uh, some of the statistics I've seen even just post-COVID about the, 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 the um, number of kids who aren't showing up to schools is, is alarming. And I think that part of that, again, comes, comes down to broken homes. And so I think there is a role here uh, where, where government can step in and encourage uh, healthy marriages, can encourage fathers to, to step up and do their part. And so uh, whether it's Governor DeSantis or whether it's uh, other individuals who are in elected positions, I think part of it might just be simply setting a good example and a po- being a positive role model for other dads. Mm-hmm. Young men need to have a father shepherding them through their adolescence into adulthood. And if they don't have that person doing that, they will do it. And they will probably do it with some kid from the neighborhood who's a couple of years older. That's true. Yeah, no, that's that's a that's a very good point. I mean, if you if you're lacking a, a father who's in in the home, uh, you you might be looking uh, elsewhere uh, for for that that support. And I, I think that as a as a father myself of, of three kids, as, as you mentioned, it's very important. I I have found, uh, and I had the opportunity last week when they were on spring break to spend a little quality time with with each of them individually. We love doing things as a family of five, and and <laughs> you know, go, whether it's going out to dinner or uh, the youngest isn't quite old enough to go to the movies, but you know, there are things that we do together. But I took uh, my middle child uh, fishing. I took my uh, eldest child golfing. And just being able to spend a couple of hours alone with them uh, is, is so important because they, they are in that one-on-one setting. with with And it could be the mom. It could be the dad. But, Bill, I just, I just think that it's so important uh, for all the fathers out there who are listening. Um, if you're struggling in your marriage or you're, you're, you're having some difficulties right now, I'll look for opportunities to, to get help and, and to try to repair that relationship. Um, it is it is so important, I think, for the kids' sake uh, to to be in a in a situation where they have that success. And it, we we even know this through the things like the success success sequence, where finishing high school, getting a job, uh, getting married before you have kids, you know, can lead to so much uh, greater outcomes in your life if you uh, follow those simple steps. And Rob, when you take your oldest son out golfing, you can always say to say to him things like, "The guy who just won the Masters three putted on eighteen, so don't be discouraged." That's right. <laughs> well, actually, uh, interesting story. He, it, we actually went golfing on Thursday at the start of the <laughs> Masters. He would, he, he would saw, you know, he was so inspired with all the news about yeah. Tiger Woods and everything that was going on. And so, uh, you know, we just seized the moment and and and, and um, took the opportunity to do that. But Bill, you know, it is, um, it, it's, it's so important, I think, for for us to to be good role models for for our kids and. To the extent that government can play a role here, um, I'm, I'm definitely a limited government kind of guy, but I think these are some of the things that government can probably do uh, for, for the benefit, um, particularly, you know, when, when it comes to welfare programs. And, and welfare programs, by all means, if we're, if we're giving people support, we should certainly be encouraging them, I would think, uh, to be in a healthy marriage. Yeah. Amen. All right, Rob, let me take a short break. When I come back, I do have some questions for you about what's going on with the Ukraine and Russia update and several other topics. Rob Bluey is my guest. He is the executive editor at The Daily Signal. I always encourage you to go to dailysignal.com. You can see all the writing that's on over there, dailysignal.com. Be right back.
You can tell by the music that my guest is Rob Bluey, executive editor at The Daily Signal. Rob, let's, uh, if we can, chat about the uh, the war that's going on in Ukraine. What's the yes, update? Yes, well, well, the latest is uh, Vladimir Putin, uh, the leader of Russia, made some some news uh, today. Uh, obviously, we are um, more than a month now into to this uh, this fighting, and now Putin said his uh, main goal is to help the people of eastern Ukraine, um, which mm-hmm. seems to signal that. Uh, Russia is pulling back from some of it, what we suspected were its earlier ambitions of, of basically seeking regime change in Ukraine and uh, and trying to depose the the president there, uh, Zelensky, um, and instead now just really concentrating on this this area, the Donbas region. And I I think that um, that's an indication that the Ukrainians are winning. Frankly, Bill, uh, yeah. they have been able to repel uh, the Russians. Uh, they the Russians were making this this advance to Kiev, which stalled out. Uh, they've now uh, redeployed their forces to uh, to the uh, eastern part of the country. And uh, and when Putin says that, and I quote him now, when he says, "What we are doing is helping people and saving people." Um, I, I simply, you know, this this is PR. This is propaganda for the Russian people. I mean, this is what will be broadcast on on Russian TV and printed in Russian newspapers. Uh, and may, unfortunately, many of the Russian people do not know the truth of what's really going on in that country because they do not live in a country that has a free press. And so I. Um, I, I think that it's uh, it's shameful what Russia Russia continues to do. I think it's really encouraging to see so many of the Eastern European countries, many of which were under the Soviet bloc uh, during the Cold War, stepping up and uh, and helping uh, the Ukrainian people, uh, giving them munitions and arms, uh, and coming to their aid in in various ways. Uh, we've even seen some some new developments that um, some of the Nordic countries may be interested in joining NATO after um, spending many years on on the sidelines and in a neutral position. So uh, Putin might be having uh, the reaction, uh, inspiring the reaction that he at least expected uh, by his attack. Mm-hmm. Great story at DailySignal.com written by Virginia Allen uh, that talks about Eleanor McCullen. I'd love for you to tell our listeners about this lovely woman. Yes, well, thank you, Bill, and uh, and Virginia is uh, is doing just fantastic work uh, as as my podcast co-host. Uh, Virginia had the opportunity to uh, to travel to um, uh, Los Angeles and uh, and be part of uh, several uh, events that uh, we were we were doing there, uh, which uh, was showcased um, some of the the concerns that uh, were were taking place when it comes to to the crime wave in in this country and uh, in 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 this particular. Um, situation in 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 la you know we had um we had so many people who were victims of speaking out and uh and and raising concerns about what uh what unfortunately we see happening in a lot of our our major cities and so we're going to continue to to showcase and shine the light on on these issues bill we live at a time when there are so many problems confronting our own country i mean we were just talking about russia and ukraine and obviously that's a a situation that is is just devastating to so many people and all of the people who have fled that country but we can't forget the people in our own country who are suffering uh today we had the consumer price index come out 8.5 percent inflation the highest in 40 years uh, food prices are soaring. People are having a difficult time putting a, a meal on the table uh, because their their wages, uh, even if they're getting a salary increase, are not keeping up with the cost of inflation. Uh, those who are living in inner cities are suffering because of years uh, now, uh, since 2020, of, of this campaign uh, that's gone against uh, defunding our police. 
and uh, and we have other uh, other other challenges, including this this wave that we expect uh, to come across the the, the U.S. Mexico border. Uh, in the coming months, because the Biden administration is getting rid of Title 42, uh, which was what protection to keep um, keep our country safe from um, migrants who might be carrying uh, uh, COVID-19. And so, uh, you know, um, it's uh, there's a there's a number of issues that uh, that I think are, are certainly on my mind uh, today. And uh, we just need to be mindful of. Yeah. Rob, would you explain Title 42 again? Sure. Well, Title 42 is a is a policy that was put in place by the Trump administration uh, at a time when we were concerned about uh, those uh, illegal immigrants who were crossing the border and maybe carrying COVID uh, into the United States. And so we we put in place uh, a policy that said, uh, no, uh, we we can um, expel you, uh, send you back to to Mexico or your your country of origin, uh, because we are concerned about the public health and the safety. And the the Democrats, um, uh, including uh, Joe Biden, have indicated that they will end this policy, this Title 42, on May 23rd. Uh, we expect to have as many as 18,000 new illegal immigrants, immigrants mm. crossing into the country every day. Uh, that's uh, well more than double what the, what the previous peak was. Um, it is a situation that has led Texas Governor Greg Abbott uh, to basically say that they are going to take unprecedented steps in Texas uh, because the federal government is is derelict in its duty. Um, and and Bill, as, as your listeners will know, it seems like every time this year when the weather starts to get nice and uh, and the border crossings start to increase, we are going to be in the season over the next few months where those uh, the, those illegal immigrants are, are continuing to make that that trek north. And so it is. Um, it is it is quite remarkable. Uh, if you take all of the illegal immigrants who who have crossed uh, since uh, Biden became president, uh, we're talking about millions of people now who are living in this country, and our system can simply not handle the processing of them uh, at, at the rate that um, that they're coming across. And and the repeal of Title Forty Two is only going to make it more challenging. And I should note here, it's not every it's not all of the Democrats' bill, and there are a number of Democrats in Congress who have suggested that when they return from recess, they'll be looking to pass legislation uh, to to counteract what the Biden administration is doing. So there is some bipartisan movement on this, I think sensibly, because as we've seen just in recent days in Philadelphia and other cities, uh, they're starting to reimpose some of the COVID restrictions because there is this new variant that's out there. So, it, you know, you're, you're kind of scratch, left scratching your head why they would do this at the uh, at, at the Department of Homeland Security when uh, COVID certainly isn't gone, has, hasn't disappeared and isn't gone away yet. Yeah, Rob, I'm not sure how stuff works, but 2 million people come into the U.S. Where are they? Where are they living? How are they, what are they doing for money? What, I don't, I don't know how any of this works. Well, well it's, it's, a, it's a very good question because uh, one of the things that, uh, that we, we, we have seen increasingly is that when they're crossing the border, there are, um, they, the federal government, because there, isn't enough, there aren't enough facilities there in, in Texas or New Mexico or Arizona or California, they are transporting them to the interior of the country. And so, uh, I mean, as far away as New York, I think there have been reports where they will, will fly them to New York and in the middle of the night sometimes, and then they will be just set loose. And you can't expect them. Uh, I mean, we should expect them to show up for their court date, but uh, but in many times they will not show up for their court date and we will never truly find out. One of the things that 
the Governor Abbott has said he will do is uh, he's going to start uh, transporting them to Washington, D.C. and dropping them in Joe Biden's backyard uh, mm -hmm. because uh, he wants them to, to feel the effects firsthand. So, yeah, there are... Um, there, there are so many uh, illegal immigrants. Uh, it's, it's said to be, you know, when, when all is said and done, they could make up a, about twenty percent of our population. I mean, it is, it is uh, tr truly a situation that is is crying out for, for attention. And the unfortunate part about all of this is that the policies that the Trump administration put in place, whether you liked Donald Trump as a person or not, uh, I think it's hard to deny that the policies he had put in place were helping to confront some of the challenges, including building uh, the border wall. Um, but uh, a lot of those policies were immediately uh, rescinded on January 20th of 2021 when Joe Biden took office. Mm -hmm. When you look at everything that's going on in the world right now, Rob, what issues are keeping you awake at night just a little bit extra? You probably well, I, have no I, problem sleeping because you're exhausted yeah. when you get home. <laughs> I, I think that that's that's certainly one of them that that worries me. Um, illegal immigration I'm I'm talking about now in the border crisis uh, because I do think it affects communities all across this country in in ways big and small. Uh, everything from the drug drug epidemic, uh, the cartels that operate along the southern border. You know, we had two people from our team uh, on the border last week. They did a trip with the Texas Public Policy Foundation, and uh, in talking to them and about their experience, they said it was like being in a war zone. Bill, um, I haven't had the wow. opportunity to do that myself, but they said that they were on the Rio uh, Grande River, and uh, the 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 boat captain who was um, driving them had a bulletproof vest on. And uh, one of my colleagues said, you know, should I be wearing one? And he said, no, you're probably OK. They usually only try to shoot at the, 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 the you know, the driver. Uh, it's just scary <laughs> uh, to hear things like that. Yeah. Um, so that's one. And then I think, you know, obviously uh, the financial issues, uh, we're, we're all feeling that. Um, we're, we're feeling that in, in filling up our, our cars with gas. We're seeing it at the grocery store. Uh, summer vacations are going to be a whole lot more expensive. Uh, transporting the kids to to camp, you know, or or even to school, you know, I mean, it it, it starts to add up, and uh, and the numbers that came out today are really startling. And I don't know, uh, you and I have talked about the impact that it's going to have on food prices because as we start to to harvest crops here in the United States, well, those farmers are going to have to pay more for all of their energy needs as well, and they're going to pass along the cost to us in in, in the the form of food. So it's not going to get better anytime soon, unfortunately. Well, it only makes sense, you know, with the rising cost of fuel, everyone, everyone gets uh, that. Everyone has that expense. They can't get around that. That's right. Uh, and even if you do drive an electric vehicle, uh, I'd like to point out it's it's not necessarily uh, the, the foolproof solution because everybody says the grow green energy, but we can't just flip the switch and get there overnight. So it's, uh, it's a situation that it, unfortunately, uh, the president made this announcement that he was going to be releasing uh, 180 uh, million, you know, barrels from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, but it barely made a dent in the price of oil. And if it was, it was short lived. Um, so, you know, it's uh, it's very difficult. It's it's tough. And having just made the trip to North Carolina last week, uh, you know, I can tell you up and down uh, I-95 and, and the back roads of North Carolina, you know, it is uh, it, it is sticker shock. Uh, yeah. It is uh, it, it is certainly costly. Yeah. What time is the Bluey household Easter uh, meal? What time does that take place? Is that a brunch well, or a dinner? Well, I, I, ju I just I just got a text from my wife. They're having a little uh, uh, the the youngest who's two is having her Easter egg hunt today <laughs> because we missed it this past okay. weekend because we were away. But yes, we're going to have all the family uh, with us. Uh, my in laws, my parents, nice. and uh, we'll, we'll be celebrating around noon after church on Sunday. Fantastic. So I wish all of your listeners a happy Easter. As Thank well. you. Same to you, Rob. Have a great Easter, and I'll talk to you next week.
Thank you. All right, Rob Bluey's been my guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal. Go to dailysignal.com. We'll take a short break and be right back. listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Welcome back. I'm always glad to talk uh, to Pastor Brent Kuhlman because we always do a deep study of God's Word and we are in Matthew chapter 3 today and we're going to talk about an encounter between Jesus and his cousin John. This should be interesting. It's all found in John in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Brent Kuhlman is the pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Murdoch, Nebraska. Brent, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Bill. Uh, peace be with you. Great to be with you. Peace be with you. Yeah. Amen. I love uh, this passage in Matthew 3 about the baptism of Jesus. Yeah, and you look at it starting verse 13. You know, Jesus, he comes from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized mm-hmm. by him. And <laughs> what's, what's fun about this is that uh, if John was running the show, there wouldn't have been a baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ, <laughs> because in verse 14 it says, if John would have prevented him, right. saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Because it may make, make sense. I mean, uh, everything's upside down, according to John. I mean, the lesser should be baptized by the greater. Right. You know, and the servant, that's John. He should be baptized by the master. That's Jesus. And the sinner, John, you know, he should be baptized by the sinless one, Jesus. So on a human level, yeah, John's correct, because his baptism is for sinners, and this Jesus shows up, and he's the Messiah. He doesn't have any sins to repent of, because he's he's sinless. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't make any sense, humanly speaking. But if you look at it in why Jesus does this, everything changes, because um, as Jesus says, well, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And to fulfill all righteousness is the gospel, its gift, namely that um, Jesus is the one, the sinless one, who will be baptized as a sinner in the baptism here, the Lord of all at the Jordan here, is going to become the servant of all. And the greater, yeah, he'll be baptized by the lesser. And let's push it even further. (laughs) The the Lamb of God, namely Jesus, who takes away the sin of the world, is at the Jordan River being prepared for his Good Friday sacrifice, because that's what you do with sacrifices in the Old Testament. You wash them on their way to the altar where they'd be sacrificed. And that's part of what's going on here. Mm-hmm. So if you're picking up what I'm throwing down, it doesn't make sense, humanly speaking, why Jesus comes to, get, to be baptized by John. But if you know what Jesus is up to, he's come to save sinners. And how will he do it? By dying on the cross and taking their sin in his body as the only sacrifice that atones for sin. And it begins here in Matthew chapter 3. Now, because you'll notice that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke... Jesus' public ministry begins here. When he's 30 years old, it's going to last for three years, and it culminates in his suffering, death, and resurrection. So the point I'm trying to make, and I hope people are picking it up, is that Jesus gets baptized by John in the Jordan River to fulfill all righteousness, which means 
The sinless one has now come to take the sin of the world in his body on the cross and answer for it. That's why he gets baptized in solidarity with sinners, because that's what John's baptism is for, sinners. Mm-hmm. But this, this, is what, this is what the gospel is. The gospel is this, like 2 Corinthians 5 clearly teaches, that he who knew no sin was made to be sin, so that in him we have the righteousness of God. And Luther called this the, the sweet swap or the blessed exchange, where Jesus takes our sin and answers for it, and in exchange he gives us his righteousness that we receive by faith in him. So that's just starting it right off the bat to get things going here <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> in I, this text. You know, I would love to hear what the uh, script was in the water when John was baptizing the person right before Jesus, and then what the script was when Jesus entered the water, because Jesus said, let it be so, it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented, and then the next verse says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, so we never really heard any words that were exchanged in the baptismal waters. Right. It just happened. Uh, you know, and John, I know, had the repentance script for everyone else that got in the water. No doubt. No doubt. But the text doesn't say. So it doesn't. Speculation I know. Part. And I have no business <laughs> speculating. It's just something I do every now and then. So uh, forgive me, Brent. Well, it's fun. It's fun to do that. It is kind but of fun. I, I want to make another quick pointer about, you know, our, that when Jesus gets baptized, so the people don't misunderstand this. Jesus, his baptism doesn't save him because Jesus baptism didn't wash away any of his sins because he didn't have any. Right. Okay. And just to make it clear, you know, our Lord's baptism doesn't grant him a second birth from above, you know, like Jesus says about our baptism in John 3 and in Titus 3, but rather Jesus is the eternally begotten Son of the Father. And let's push another point here. Our Lord's baptism in the Jordan joins him, and this is what I was trying to say when we first got started. His baptism in the Jordan joins him to our death, because it sets him on the road to Calvary and his cross. So Jesus, he doesn't get himself baptized. I want to make this very clear. He was baptized. That is to say, he receives it Mm. from the hand of John. It was done to him. This is a very important point in the text. Um, And this, too, is what scandalized John, as I tried to say at the beginning. Because John doesn't feel qualified to baptize the one whose sandals he wasn't worthy to untie, right? Right. Now, as we move on, after John consents, and as you pointed out in verse 16, Jesus is baptized, and immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So the Father then and the Spirit, they both bear witness, and they both testify publicly here (laughs) at the Jordan. So the Spirit descends upon Jesus in bodily form, appearing as a dove, and this is important because it indicates quite clearly, this is a revelation, that Jesus is in fact the one who is anointed with the Spirit without measure, as the Old Testament prophesied. He is the Messiah And when the Father speaks, and we know it's the Father's voice because of what he says, you know, this is my beloved Son, okay? Um, He bears witness to his Son by paraphrasing, if you will, the words of Isaiah 42, verse 1. And again, again, the words that the Father speaks clearly in this text is, this is my beloved Son, and I'm well pleased with him. And just to repeat, why is the Father well pleased with his Son here? 
because Jesus is fulfilling all righteousness as he told John. Namely, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Savior. I've come to take the sin of the world in my body, starting now, and I'm going to carry it to the cross. I'm going to answer for it in my Good Friday death. That's why God the Father, and I'm going to paraphrase, that's my boy. Do you see him? <laughs> oh, I, can't. I love him. Love him. Okay? Yeah. Pay attention to him. Yeah. All right. And it's interesting, too, that, you know, in Mark's account of this, where it says that uh, heaven is opened, yeah. literally in the Greek, it's just cracked wide open. And it's the same verb when Jesus dies on the cross and the, te- the temple curtain cracks wide open, which means that through Jesus, through his salvific work, which begins, I'm simply saying it for the sake of our discussion today, which begins here at his baptism. I'm not denying his birth, et cetera, et cetera, but just for pinpointing our discussion, heaven is now open to sinners through the Savior, Jesus Christ. So when I read this passage, uh, Brandon, we talk about it, and, and the heavens open, and the Spirit of the, of the God descended like a dove alighting on him, and a voice said, this is my Son whom I love with him I am well pleased. Obviously a brilliant um, example of the Trinity uh, in, in, in um, uh, working all at once. And then yeah. also, can you imagine how important it is for young men to hear these powerful words from even their earthly father? You're my boy. Um, I, am, I am proud of you, and I love you. And, I th- and notice, I'm glad you mentioned this because this is Matthew 3. Right. Notice how the the evangelist ends his gospel, make disciples of all nations by baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So you've got the Trinity going on here in Matthew 3 in our Lord's baptism, and so the Trinity's going on too when you're baptized. We've had a previous discussion, if I remember correctly, about that Matthew 28, where one of the greatest gifts that God gives you is his name. Read the Old Testament very carefully, like Exodus 3, for example, when God gives his name to Moses. You know, who who shall I say sent me? And then God says, I did. I am the Lord. Okay, the Lord, that's Yahweh. And so the greatest gift that God gives is his name. And when God gives you his name, he gives you his divine and saving name and then gives you access. So yeah, when, when Christians are baptized in the triune name, yeah, the Father essentially is saying to us, I'm pleased with you, too, because right. Jesus died for you, and now you're my child. Right. Oh, and, and not only that, Brent, but I, I do uh, think it models this incredible um, uh, sense of love when even a, not only does a Heavenly Father do this to us, but an earthly Father, because we go out into the world in strength if our Father says to us, Son, I, you're mine, I love you, and I'm proud of you. Yeah, and that, that, that's very important. Absolutely. Well, it's just kind of an aside, I think. I think there's a lot of friends that I have who I think have spent their whole life trying to uh, wish they would hear from their dad that their dad said they were proud of them. Yeah, if you don't know who your dad is, that's yeah. trouble. Yeah. Jesus does. He knows who his Heavenly Father is, and then Jesus reveals his Heavenly Father to us, <laughs> so we know who our Heavenly Father is. And he says, now I want you to pray this way, folks, our Father who art in heaven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, see, so this is important. So we know who our heavenly father is, which also means we know who we are as we stand before him. And that our earthly father then is to reflect that as well. Yeah. That's why family and marriage is so important, which is a whole nother topic. But, it is, uh, yeah. Is this the first time God's voice from heaven is heard in the New Testament? It, right here in Matthew, yes. Yeah. But then you're going to hear it again on the Mount of Transfiguration. True. And, of course, then listen to him is added 
<laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So when a young man would go into the ministry, wouldn't it be common in the Jewish culture to have a, a ritual baptism saying we're, we're washing and cleansing you for your ministry? So this this is not something that anyone would have looked at and thought was unusual when Jesus was 30, also starting his public ministry. Yes, I suppose, but that's not the main point here. The main point is, is I, I'd like to get to eventually, if we have time. Oh, we have lots of time. Well, in the Old Testament. I'll stop talking. <laughs> well, no, the Old Testament, that's precisely what happened, is, is that the sacrifices were wa- washed before they were offered on the cross. Right. And that's precisely what's going on here. Now, um, I would call this our Lord's ordination, if you will. Okay. The baptism. So to pig- piggyback on what you're talking about, yes. So this is the beginning of his public ministry. It's his ordination. And that's why he's equipped by the Holy Spirit to do this work, as promised in the Old Testament. The, the, the Spirit will come upon me. And it does. It happens right here. And it's very interesting. You know, you know the rest of the story after Jesus is baptized. You know, who cast Jesus? I'm, I'm thinking of Mark's account, you know. In the Greek, it's, the Holy Spirit ekbalos Jesus, literally throws him like a baseball out into the wilderness wow. to be tempted by Satan. And that's interesting because our Lord then is equipped to do his messianic work, and he's equipped by the Holy Spirit. Now, parallel this, um, when we're baptized, we're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And we, too, are cast out into this wilderness world. And guess what? We, we too, are equipped with the Holy Spirit, because when you're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, did you hear that? Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit gives himself to you and equips you to be a Christian in this world to bear witness to the Lord Jesus Christ, who truly is the Son of God. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, of course, also, just I'm, I'm going, getting ahead of myself, but Matthew 4, you know, when, when Jesus is tempted by Satan in the wilderness, each temptation is rebuffed. It is written. It is written. It is written. And that's gift and example in two ways. Jesus does this for our salvation. He lives perfectly, uh, whereas Adam didn't. And he's example for us, too, in Matthew 4, where he shows us how to repel Satan's attacks and temptations through the Word of God. Brent, let's take a little break. I will go to break. You can answer the door. And uh, we'll be right back with Pastor Brent Kuhlman. He's the pastor at Trinity Trinity Lutheran Church in Rodak, Nebraska. You can also reach him at Brent Kuhlman, K-U-H-L-M-A-N dot WordPress. BrentKuhlman.wordpress.com. Be right back. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. We're in Matthew 3 today with Pastor Brent Kuhlman. He is the uh, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Murdoch, Nebraska. And always, uh, you always give me lots to think about, Brent. You you go deep and you cut quick, quickly, which I love. So thank you. That's the Word of God, though. Oh, you're welcome. I, if I may, let's let's push this, what we were talking about earlier, about our Lord's ordination here let's in do his it. baptism. Yeah. Because um, um, People are well-intended and well-meaning when they read this account and the parallels in Mark and in Luke of our Lord's baptism, and they see it only as an example for us to follow. And here's what I'm talking about. 
is that Jesus is an adult and he's 30 years old, so that's an example for us to follow in the church that only adults should be baptized. I'm contending that that misses the point and misses it completely. Because when Jesus gets baptized here in Matthew 3, in the Jordan, this is the beginning of his public ministry, which begins, of course, with the Father identifying him mm-hmm. as his servant, you know, the Isaiah 53, servant son, and the Spirit descending upon him. This is the beginning of his mission and ministry to do specific things, namely, to bring about the kingdom of God, to usher in the promised new age of the Messiah, as promised in the Old Testament, and to defeat for us and for our salvation sin, death, and the devil, and to speak of it positively, to bring eternal life and forgiveness of sins, or let's, see, let's just keep pushing it, <laughs> to rescue fallen humanity from its captivity to sin and death. And Jesus here then, if you think of Genesis Jesus is that second and last Adam. He is the head of a new humanity to fulfill the law, the Ten Commandments, with his total and complete perfect obedience, but then at the same time to then bear the punishments of that law in our place, like Galatians 3.13, become a curse for us, as the Lord's suffering servant to become sin for us, so that in him, as I referenced earlier to 2 Corinthians 5, so that in him we become the righteousness of God. So here at the Jordan, to fulfill all righteousness means that Jesus is going to bring in a new creation. He's going to make all things new in his death and resurrection, which begins where? Right here when he's baptized in the Jordan River. As he said to John, let it be so now, for thus it it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So if you're picking up what I'm throwing down, or you're smelling what I'm cooking, (laughs) our Lord's baptism in the Jordan River here in Matthew 3 is, and I, I, I emphasize is, a necessary part of Him being the Savior for us from sin. And as I mentioned earlier, and it bears repeating, as God's sacrifice sent by the Father, Jesus is God's sacrifice, He, namely Jesus, needed to be washed as all sacrifices were washed in the Old Testament. And so the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, is being prepared for what? For his offering, his sacrificial offering in our place. And so what begins at the Jordan, right now in Matthew 3, is that Jesus will be our stand-in. He will be our vicarious substituting atonement, the one who offers his life in place of ours, his blood, for, for our blood, and this washing was different, though, because he was already pretty pure, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. But he was washed here in the Jordan, and here's what I wanted to get to, Bill. In the Jordan, he is washed in our sins, because John's baptism is for sinners, so that we can be washed from our sins. Let's, let's talk about this end of the way real quickly, if I may. You know, before there was indoor plumbing here in the Midwest, here in Nebraska— uh, you would you'd go get the water, and you'd put it on the stove, and you'd heat it up, and it'd be Saturday night because you were going to go to church on Sunday, and there'd be this big metal tub in the kitchen. And guess who'd, who'd get, to, get to use it first? Dad, who came in from the field, and he'd be absolutely filthy. Well, all the kids are sitting there watching Dad take a bath, and all of that, <laughs> all of that dirt and mud is sitting in that bathtub. And then Mom says, okay, kids, now it's your turn. <laughs> and what do they all say? I ain't getting in there. <laughs> no way. Yeah. 
But this is what happens with, with John's baptism. It, in the Jordan, it's for sinners. And so just for an analogy is that that Jordan River water is just full of sin, deadly, toxic, polluted sin. And Jesus, what's he do? He hops right in. Mm. Nothing's going to stop him because he's going to take that sin in his body, carry it to the cross, and die for it. See, that's what's going on here at the baptism of our Lord. Okay. Brent, so I got to say, the baptism that I, Jesus steps into is a baptism for sinners. Yeah. I got to say, I've never connected those dots. Well, see, that's what I'm trying to help folks with today, and I hope this is edifying for them. Oh, it's it's edifying for me. I hope for see, others as well. Because it's not just example. A lot of people read this and they think, okay, this is just an example. Jesus did this, so I need to do it. No, it's gift, mm. gift for salvation. That's what he means when he tells John, it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. I'm the Savior. I've come here (laughs) to take people's sins and answer for it. And it begins right now. And if you've never read, Bill, if you've never read Martin Luther's commentary on Galatians 3, oh, and folks, if you've never read that, get it and read it. Because Luther just extols what we're talking about right here for all that it's worth. Jesus, he's sinless. He's holy. He's got no sin of which to repent. He has no past, like you and me, of course, (laughs) that needs all kinds of cleansing. But when he's at the baptism there in the Jordan, Jesus is now in solidarity with the sinners that John was baptizing and with all of sinful humanity, with you and me. And as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he who knew no sin was made to be sin. So in his baptism... What I'm saying, and I'm repeating it so everybody gets it, Jesus then, and I'm picking up on Luther's comments on Galatians 3, Jesus bearing the sin of the world in his body, which begins at his baptism, climaxes on the cross. Jesus then becomes the adulterer, the thief, the murderer, the one who gossips. He's the idolater, the liar. Why? Because he carries the sin of the world in his body, and God the Father counts him as the sinner, even though he never sinned. This is salvation, and it begins right now at the baptism of Jesus. Fantastic. I, I guess it's just so powerful to, to now look at it in that light and, and see some of the, the, um, the purpose of the baptism associated with the cleansing uh, preparation for the sacrifice. Right, right. Yeah. So this will help you then read the rest of Matthew's gospel account because public ministry begins here at his baptism, equipped with the Spirit at his baptism to do his messianic work. And part of the messianic work immediately follows in Matthew 4, where Jesus then endures the temptations of Satan in the wilderness, whereas Adam did not. And he does this again in our place for our salvation. And then just read all of Matthew in that way. So Matthew 5 and following, a sermon on the mount. So this second and last Adam, the head of of not a fallen humanity, but the head of a new humanity, which is spelled (laughs) F-A-I-T-H, bunch Mm. of faithers, right? (laughs) Yeah. Okay? Then he preaches. See, Adam, he was supposed to preach faithfully in the garden and failed in that, but Jesus doesn't. He preaches the Word of God faithfully. And just so read all of the Gospel account just in this light, beginning at his baptism, and everything is just going to, it's just going to be like the kids do, you know, they put their hands... On, on their head and they, like an explosion. <laughs> you know, yeah, I've done that. Like. I've done that a couple times already today, Brent, here in the studio. <laughs> well, then that's that's why before you know our Lord's baptism, there really wasn't much to report in the Gospels. You know, 
you've just got a few things. You got, you know, of course you've got his birth, the virgin birth, the knight in the manger, the shepherds, the magi, yeah. and the angels and the star, etc. But here is where everything begins, big time, right mm. now. Yeah. So why in this start of chapter 4, when he was led by the Spirit, uh, apparently he was more than led, he was booted into the wilderness? He was what? What did you say? He was, he was kind of booted into the wilderness? Yeah, in Mark's Gospel, as I said in the Greek, ekbalo, it means like throwing a ball with wow. your hand. Yeah. Why would but they use that up. imagery? So isn't this interesting? You yeah. would think that if Jesus is equipped by the Spirit to be the Savior, we'd avoid the devil. Yeah. No, not at all. He takes the devil head on <laughs> because he's come to conquer him, to fulfill Genesis 3.15 and crush his head. <laughs> I like that. Okay, and that all starts at his baptism. So and good. And 40, oh my goodness, we could do, we could do Matthew 4 all day too. But well, I, I think we should. We're running out of time. No, we are running out of time. Let's just do it next time uh, we talk. Let's do that. That would right. be wonderful. I would look forward to that. Pastor Brent Kuhlman's been my guest. Uh, he is the pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Murdoch, Nebraska. Always enjoy having him on the program. Always gives me lots to think about, and I'm thinking about it right now. So we're going to take a little break, and then when we come back, we will uh, have lots more show for you. Thanks for being with me. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.